he was really my spiritual father and it really hurt and it caused a lot of divisions but i was like you know this is what this is what the scripture says but this is what this is what christianity is saying and these things are not adding up he started telling us that girls you need to you need to dress for your future husbands you shouldn't be dressing for anyone else you and i'm sitting there <laughs> as a 10 year old going i'm 10 why am i wor- why should i be worried about how i'm dressing the openness and sharing and the honesty and how difficult that is because you it, it can be used against you and when that happens you know a, a time or or maybe two if you'll even after the first time will open yourself up again it it's uh it's really painful and it, and it becomes you feel really isolated come over me for this guy and it, it, just his facial expressions looking around like i don't belong here mm. and that made me feel so sad and i was just like i don't belong here either then so pervasive in that culture of like this this idea of american exceptionalism and and like we have to have this flag and we have to be like if if you aren't for the war if you aren't for whatever then you're not really a christian and i'm like how does that fit with a cross um and and that i think kind of shattered the like the, the armor already had a lot of cheeks yeah. But that kind of like was the final blow to be like, okay, I don't know that this is true. And I'm kind of starting to believe that it's not. For the most part, I kept those questions to myself um, because I started to get this feeling um, as much as I loved my church, as much as I loved um, the people there, as much as I felt like this strong sense of belonging, I, I, I really did not feel like it was an okay place to ask really difficult questions. But I I have always thought that that's so not toxic, but like unhealthy because it's teaching us how to be clever and like sneaky with things that we're doing. The Scott Stebbin Podcast presents a Deconstructing Faith series where we look at people's stories of what was built, what was lost, and what was found in between. Episode 8, Ryan Garns. Hey everybody and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today as we continue our Deconstruction Faith Series. And joining me today is no stranger to the Scott Stedman Podcast, actually was one of the co-founders of our my first adventure in podcasting, Theology and backgammon. So ladies and gentlemen, no introduction. Here is Ryan Garns. Ryan, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this podcast, Scott. I know this is a this is a big topic for a lot of people. Yeah, de- exactly. And I think it's very important. And just kind of before the show, you asked me how many people are uh, what what like demographic are people who say they want to share their stories. And I said, it's mostly people our age. You know, millennials, I think have one Gen Xer and then Gen Z. And I think a church that constantly is saying, well, we want young people. We want young families. We want this. We want that. And yet when the church is doing things that is pushing 
these generations out of the building and out of the community, I think it is a very important topic that really needs yeah. to get discussed. And, you know, hopefully people will listen. And I hope that people start making the changes and start kind of getting back to the roots of what the church is and what Christianity is. Um, Cause I yeah. think they've went astray my opinion, but, <laughs> but so Ryan, for those who may be tuning in and have no clue about the history with you in this show, give me a snapshot of those who don't know who you are. Just give them a quick snapshot of who you are. Yeah. So Scott and I met back in the days of Camp Marengo, back in uh, the heyday of Camp Marengo. And um, uh, we were both in, uh, in school at the time studying theology. Um, I, I can't remember, you started seminary in, what what, what year did you start seminary at Ashland? I started okay. seminary in about, let's see, if I graduated in 2006, I started seminary in 2007. 2007, yeah. So you were in seminary, I was studying theology in undergrad, and, um, uh, you know, when I graduated, you know, I, I did a lot of youth ministry, went to seminary, studied more theology. Um, and uh, so I've, I've pretty much committed my life to the church. Um, my, pretty much my whole adult life, I've been serving uh, in some way. I've been serving the church, um, doing formal ministry, youth ministry, um, worship ministry, um, worked at summer camp for 10 years, three years full time. Um, and uh, uh, so, so in regards to this, uh, this deconstruction thing, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of been committed to the church and been trying to understand it both, um, for myself and, and for the church and for like people who, who are going through it as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm married, um, met my wife at Camp Marengo. We've got two kids. Um, Samantha's my wife. Um, Rose and Catherine are my two wonderful daughters. So it's a house full of females and me um, and uh, our cat as well. Is the cat female? So she is a female. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we did have, uh, we did have chairman Meow Zedong, um, but he, uh, he went on to kitty cat heaven uh, a couple years ago. So, mm. so my only dude, my only dude's gone now. So mm. now we got, we've got bell, but um, yeah. So I, you know, I, that's, that's, that's me in a nutshell. Um, live in Lake Wales, Florida, get a lot of sunshine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Man. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, so kind of tell me a little bit about, you know, you say you've been doing a lot of theology study, went to undergrad for, you know, to do church work, went to seminary for church work. Um, so kind of tell me a little bit about growing up and kind of your upbringing. Like what was your mm -hmm. faith? What was kind of like your faith situation, your faith environment like growing up? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I grew up uh, in the Church of God. Um, I was actually I was actually born into the Catholic Church, uh, you know, baptized, baptized as an infant with those sprinkles on my head. Um in the Catholic church. Um, but my, my biological parents were Catholic, um, and, uh, Irish Catholic at that, you know, so very, very devout in a lot of ways. Um, my older siblings went to Catholic school. 
Uh, I never went to Catholic school. Um, by the time uh, we were kind of pulled away from, from our biological parents and put into foster care, um, you know, I was, I was uh, you know, four years old at that time. So I never, never went to Catholic school. Um, but, you know, I do have, I do have memories of, you know, going with my mom to drop off my older siblings. And my mom was, was super devout. Um, she, uh, you know, she would, she would kneel outside the classroom doors and we would pray for, for my brothers and sisters. And, um, that, that really made an impression on me at a really young age. Um, and I've kind of carried that memory with me. Uh, for, you know, my, in, into my adult life. Um, but um, I was not raised uh, in the Catholic church. I was raised in the church of God uh, out of in Anderson, Indiana, um, which is, you know, where I went to, to seminary at Anderson University. And I had a great experience growing up uh, in the church of God. Um, we had just a, a really healthy congregation um, from what I could tell as a kid. Um, you know, I had, uh, a lot of angst growing up as a kid. Um, my nickname was crying Ryan because <laughs> mm. I had, I had a lot, of, a lot of, just a lot of like kid feelings that I didn't know how to make sense of, you know, being separated from my parents and some of my siblings. And, um, it was just really easy to upset me because I didn't understand what I was feeling. Um, and, uh, sometimes I would go to church, um, you know, as, as a kindergartner and, uh, I would just start crying. And I remember, you know, my Sunday school teacher, um, just holding me in her arms, you know, and church was always like such a safe place for me growing up. And, uh, I had such a, such a, just a good experience growing up. Um, it was always a safe place. I always felt like it was a place where I could be me. You know, I went through the whole youth group thing and, um, went to all the conventions, you know, um, listen, you know, I, 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 we had really good leadership at our church. Um, it never got like just crazy political or anything like that. It was always, you know, like it, it was, it was church of God, you know, like, uh, altar calls for sermons, you know, stuff like that, stepping out of sin, moving into life, you know, stuff that you, you typically hear and, um, as a kid, I just really, um, I just really took it in because I, there was, there was something that made sense to me, even if I couldn't intellectually make sense of it, even if I couldn't put words to it. Um, but really for, for me, um, coming to, to faith, um, it really, um, it really comes down to like this sense of, feeling that I belong in the family of God. Um, when I, when I was, uh, when I was in, you know, like the fifth grade, I think, I think I was in the fifth grade. Um, I was at summer camp and, uh, kind of, you know, if, if we have a salvation moment, you know, a moment where we, we make a confession of faith, um, that was, that was it for me. And, uh, you know, the, the preacher was preaching, you know, like heaven and hell, you know, Jesus was nailed to the cross, you know, for you, um, all that kind of stuff. And there was like this component of like, you know, you can, you can have eternity with Jesus, um, and all that kind of stuff. But, 
that's not really what stuck with me. What stuck with me was that Jesus loved me and wanted to be with me in my suffering, wanted to be with me, wanted to walk with me, wanted to grieve with me. And um, I, I remember just feeling this wild release of the anxiety that I carried as a kid hmm. um, and, uh, and, and feeling like I had power over my life. Um, and really, like as a young person, feeling this existential uh, freedom, you know, and, um, and so that, you know, like, as I got older, I, you know, I, I started having some questions uh, that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't um, have really developed as a young kid, you know, and um, for the most part, I kept those questions to myself. Um, because I started to get this feeling um, as much as I loved my church, as much as I loved um, the people there, as much as I felt like this strong sense of belonging, I, I, I really did not feel like it was an okay place to ask really difficult questions. Mm. Um, and, and part of that could have just been me uh, because I, I hate controversy. Uh, it's always been a part of who I am, um, very conflict averse. Um, I grew up with a lot of conflict in my home life and I uh, just didn't want to deal with it, you know? Um, and so if I felt conflict within myself, I didn't, I didn't want to bring, pull other people into it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that could have just partly been me. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm starting to realize as I, as I get older, it's also part of the culture of the church. Um, and uh Yeah. So, but that, that was kind of, that's kind of my upbringing in a, in a nutshell. And, All right. uh, so when you think about, so, you know, what I hear is that church was a safe place mm -hmm. and that growing up in a church, you, like you, you use the word healthy. And as you described healthy, just like feeling like people cared about you, people loved you things didn't get too political as far as like being communicated, whether in the classroom or from the pulpit and just the sense of the sense of belonging um, within the church. So when, as you're developing, as you're kind of growing, going to school and even, you know, getting, you know, ministry opportunities, whether they be at camp, whether they be at retreats, whether they be at a church per se, um, what were some of the things in your life where you started to kind of see some of the cracks where you started to kind of see things and you started to kind of fall down this path where you started to see a almost like deconstruction. Again, this could be like one big thing that really was like the hammer on the egg, or it could have just been mm -hmm. a couple things where it's just like a little things that cause these little cracks, little fractures. And then eventually yeah. was the big moment, the, the final straw as you, as you will. Yeah, honestly, um, I, my experience, you know, I've talked to a lot of people um, who have gone, who are going through this, this deconstruction phase and, and, and it, everybody's experience is unique. Um, and uh, what I've learned about my own experience is that the, the way that my experience is unique compared to a lot of people is I never felt, um, I never felt a real faith crisis um, as 
as I, as I got into college, you know, like when, when I was a teenager, some of the questions that I had were related to the old Testament, um, were related to some of these obscure laws that I had no way of making sense of in the, you know, in the, in the Pentateuch. And, um, and so those were kind of some of my, some of my early questions that I had that I didn't really know how to deal with because, you know, I, on one hand, when I started reading scripture, I started in the gospel of John and I, I was a freshman in high school, read the entire book of John and just, just had this just profound, uh, again, like sense of, of, of who Jesus was and how Jesus always welcomed the outcast, always welcomed mm-hmm. the, the sinner as people like to, to use the term just mm-hmm. as a way of saying like, you don't belong here. You know, Jesus always welcomed the people who don't belong. Jesus loved me so much that, you know, he was willing to lay down his life, all of this stuff. I read the gospel of John and that's where I started. And then I was like, well, why don't I just start from the beginning of the Bible? And I started reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. By the time I got to Leviticus, man, I was like, this stuff is this is not Jesus, you know, <laughs> like what, what in the, like, this is not what I read in the gospel of John. Like, this is not who God is, you know? Mm. And, but I was afraid to say that um, because there was this sense in the church that doubt is the seed of Satan, you know, mm. rather than doubt being a friend who can point us to a, a deeper understanding of life, um, which is kind of the position I hold now. But so I went off, you know, I, I went off to college and I started learning that like there are all diff- all these different kinds of perspectives uh, within the realm of Christian theology about mm-hmm. who God is, about how to read the Bible, how to interpret the Bible. And I remember the first time, um, you know, I was in my hermeneutics class and we were studying Genesis and, uh, you know, my professor was saying, you know, Really, it's uh, we, we should really read this more metaphorically than we than literally like that was my my professor's stance, you know, and and from from like a lot of my friends and a lot of people in the class, they were just it felt like a like a faith crisis to them. Like, oh, wow, well, if this isn't if, if this isn't a literal reading, like if this isn't history, like, can I trust anything, you know, and mm-hmm. for me, it was like for me, it was just like, yeah, this makes sense to me. This makes sense to me. It, it didn't feel like a faith crisis. And I think it's because it's for two reasons. Um, one, I didn't grow up in a household with really rigid um, Christian convictions. In fact, um, our household growing up, and I love my family, love my mom and dad. We've all grown a lot since I was a kid. Uh, but like they, they, we weren't, we weren't studying scripture at home, you know, like we weren't praying together. We were mostly just arguing with each other all the time, you know? So in, in one sense, like in one sense, there was no, there was no deeply held conviction in my Mm. home. And so there was, there was nothing for me to feel like I had to, if, if, if I, if I thought differently about this, I would be stripped away from my family and I might be ostracized by my family. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, that's the biggest fear is, is the people that 
you're connected to through these convictions, you know, that you might somehow be rejected. And I never had that feeling, Mm. you know, Um, I never had that feeling about my family. Um, And so I, I, and the second thing is that like my faith wasn't based on theology. Uh, My faith was, was based on uh, this experience of God over and over and over um, this experience of God's love and God. Mm-hmm. It wasn't based on my uh, theology of salvation, you know, by faith through grace, you know, like I, I didn't have this heady theology when I came to faith. Um, and I don't even think I ever prayed the, the prayer of confession, you know, to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It just happened, you know. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't have this rigid upbringing. Um, and the reason that I believed in Jesus was because I met Jesus. And so for me, it wasn't so much a deconstruction because I, you know, I, I studied theology for years and I did change and I am still changing a lot of the ways that I think about God, a lot of the ways that I think about scripture, the church, all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't feel like a deconstruction to me. It feels like growth. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and like, it's like with, with my daughter, Rose, like we're talking about rules right now, right? Like you, you, you have to, I, we were talking about grammar rules this morning and she mm, asked okay. me why, why Sam like wrote her letters in a certain way that didn't follow the rules. And I said, well, honey, when you're a kid, you have to follow the rules. But when you're adult, you're an adult, you can break the grammar rules as long as you understand them, <laughs> you know, as long yeah. as you know how they work. And, uh, and that's, that's growth, you know, as an mm-hmm. adult, you don't, you're not held to the same standards as you were when you were a kid, you have different standards, you have different ways of understanding the world. And we call that growth. And yeah. I think for, with faith, it's, it's the same, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to, I want to kind of pause right there. Cause you, you, you yeah. mentioned some interesting things you talked about being in class and your professor saying, you know, when we read Genesis, it should be metaphoric, not metaphorically, not literally. And I can remember, because again, I went to, I started college in 2002. And I remember the very first class that I registered, that they, I got registered for was the class that everyone at Anderson had to take, which is introduction to the Bible. And I can remember sitting in that class with, you know, an auditorium, it was a big auditorium room. So it was like, uh, you know, probably about at least two, 300 people could sit in this room. Um, and I can remember by the end of that class, it just got less and less because I can remember the same thing. The professor would say something and people would start to question things. And I can even remember some people who have left Anderson. And one of the reasons why they would leave is they would say Anderson's not Christian enough. And I thought that was a weird, like kind of a very like self-righteous, weird thing to say. But at the same time, I understand, I kind of got it later because it was just like, well, it was challenging what they were told. It was challenging their belief. And especially if you are someone who comes from a background that the Bible has to be read literally from Genesis all the way to Revelation, then there is going to be a problem because even if you look at the breakdown of the books, you have wisdom literature or poetry literature. You do have, mm-hmm. I mean, you do have like the kind of like the kingdom literature, which I, I mean, David, like especially first, second Samuel, first, second King, first Chronicles. Yeah. That's stuff you can read literally. Um, 
However, I wouldn't read too much <laughs> literal into some of the visions that the prophets are having. I would not, because <laughs> again, that's right, not something yeah. that would be literal. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of times, especially where we start to see within different denominations and, and different views of certain books in the Bible, all get down to all gets down to is people reading it too literally or sometimes are people reading it too metaphorically sure and it's not supposed to um and i guess the greatest example and I, i'm probably gonna get some flack for this so please excuse me would be how people read first thessalonians it's a letter it is a letter that paul is writing to encourage the church so i don't know how in the world someone can take paul when he's trying to encourage a church who are in some ways feeling very um oh i can't think of the word now feeling feeling very sad because all their brothers and sisters are dying and yet jesus hasn't returned yet and they're worried about what's going to happen to them so then that's when paul gives this big thing that you know the dead in christ will rise first and somehow from that verse of encouragement we now have a whole entire eschatology of you know, pre-millennialism and tribunalism. And I'm thinking, and people always refer to that verse and I'm going, you're reading it wrong. <laughs> like, like, I mean, yeah. for me, I just feel like you're reading it wrong. Like, because yeah. you're taking it, you're, you're adding a, a prophecy in a non-prophetic book. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Yeah. 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 But I mean, as you, and I thought, I think it's interesting. You said something that I thought was so profound which was the idea that you didn't say a prayer to accept Jesus into your heart. It was an experience where you came connected to Christ. Yeah. And I find that so fascinating because I think a lot of times, you know, I can remember the first time I gave my life to Christ, I did the prayer, but there was no life change or transformation in my life. And then it wasn't until I went to camp the next summer and went to a different camp because the one camp I got was like horrible. And I, it, it, it it made camp experience very unhealthy for me and I did not want to go back. So my dad had to convince me to go to a different camp. And it was there when I had that encounter with Christ that really changed my life. And I think that's so fascinating when we get to, you know, when you talk about your experience in the church, everything was experiential. Everything was very community-based and love-based and very Christ-centric and very transformative. And then you get the other side where everything's very theologically driven and work-driven and um, and analytics. You know, it's about it's 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 about analytics instead of experience. And I think that's very fascinating to hear kind of those themes coming out as you're sharing. So you said you didn't really have, in some ways, as other friends, a big crisis of faith. So what were some of the things that kind of led, because again, you talk about, you know, some of the challenges of not reading the Bible, feeling like you can't really share your doubts. Was there anything else that had happened within, you know, your years from then till now that you've kind of gotten to this point where you're just like, dude what what in the world's going on like yeah yeah absolutely and you know there's not there's not one thing um but there there have been um i i i guess i have had a faith crisis but it 
it's not so much a crisis of faith in God, but it's a crisis of faith in the church. Um, and uh, uh, you're you're talking to somebody who's committed their life to the church. So I probably I probably take this a little bit harder than a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. because it's been so hard for me to say it's time to walk away, and um, because it's been my life for so long. And so most recently, uh, I guess I'll just kind of share this, uh, put this on the table. Most recently, um, what, uh, what's kind of taken place for us, um, is, uh, we, we moved down here, moved to Florida, um, to take a position at a church. You know, I, I took a, a full-time youth ministry position at a church of God in Lake Wales, Florida. Um, my first full-time ministry job or full-time ministry job in a church. Um, I've done part-time work in churches. Um, I worked full-time at summer camp, you know, things like that. But um, we moved down here and um, didn't ask all the right questions going into it, you know, first, first job. And, um, didn't, didn't think to like, look at the budget (laughs) (laughs) over the, over the course of, you know, last five to 10 years before we moved, um, didn't, didn't think, oh, maybe I should ask about what, what's attendance been like over the last five to 10 years, you know, how much I knew that the church had shrunk down, uh, when leadership transitioned but I didn't realize it was at a rate of 20% per year (laughs) since that leader left. And that trend did not change once we got there, which means the decrease in funding did not change once we got there. Um, And so a year after we moved down here, there's a, um, there's a budget cut that has a, a real big, you know, nasty budget cut that, uh, that takes place. And, um, we end up, we end up leaving the church, um, because we can't afford, uh, you know, that, that was our only source of income. We can't afford to go part-time. Um, and the position that they're offering, uh, doesn't fit my gifting, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, I learned during my time there that, that um, the church was just trying to survive and the church was operating out of fear that death was impending, you know, for them. And, and I love that. I love that church. I love the people, you know, I love the leaders. I don't, I don't want to defame anybody there, but the church really was operating out of fear. They, they expected me to be their savior, to, to somehow, somehow bringing in a bunch of kids was, was going to somehow save the church, even though like we live in one of the poorest counties in the country and like those kids didn't have money and most of their parents didn't have a lot of money, you know, and their parents weren't coming anyways. (laughs) Um, But that didn't happen. Uh, I did not bring in boatloads of kids. Uh, That's that. And I, you know, I told them like my primary goal is like helping the kids that I have to grow into faithful Christ followers. 
And um, in the end, I was told that, you know, a, a youth group of 15 kids, um, you know, th- three of whom were baptized the month before we were let go, um, uh, you know, for, for whatever that's worth to, to listeners. Um, but I was told that they couldn't justify having a full-time youth ministry position for a youth pastor who's only mentoring 15 kids. Um, and I, I was also told by, um, by an elder whose kid had not been there since, since, you know, a few months after we came that, uh, the kids were not having enough fun in youth group. And that's why we weren't growing, uh, which just frankly, wasn't true. Uh, Maybe his kid didn't have fun the last time he was there. Um, but uh, like, just frankly, it wasn't true. Like we had a freaking blast at youth group, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, we didn't have the synergy of a hundred kids, but man, we had a blast. And, um, uh, and I had kids tell me that it wasn't just me that was having fun. But, it, but the fact that like having fun was more important than helping these kids learn how to love one another, um, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around that. And that just grieved me so bad. It grieved me more than the fact that they were letting me go. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so then we move on. We're like, okay, we want to stay in the church of God. I'm working on my ordination. You know, it's, it's best if we stay in the church of God. We go to the other church of God in town, which was a great great experience at first. Um, and the, one of the primary reasons that we loved it there right away was because Rose just loved the, the children's ministry from the get-go. Um, whereas we'd gone other places and she would go into the children's ministry and just ball. <laughs> so we're like, all right, she likes it here. Let's, let's learn to like it here, you know? And so after about a year, I got plugged in on the worship team, um, started, started doing part-time youth ministry there. Sam had a full-time job at that time. Um, and so, you know, things had changed and um, I was the stay-at-home dad. So started doing part-time youth ministry, worship team, you know, really, really started getting invested in the place. COVID hits and uh, all of a sudden the pulpit is extremely political. Um, mm. uh, Black Lives Matter uh, starts uh, starts protesting. Um, all of a sudden, the pulpit is extremely political. Um, a pulpit that I thought, for the most part, was pretty politically neutral, and I really appreciated that. All of a sudden, Black Lives Matter, and anybody who sympathizes with Black Lives Matter um, is evil and godless. Um, you don't know what you're getting into if you call yourself a Christian and you're supporting these, these hellish riots and catching, catching towns on fire. And um, there was no balanced perspective on Black Lives Matter. And all the while, we had a Black worship pastor who was very uncomfortable with all of this. Um, we had a, a Black um, hospitality pastor who was also very uncomfortable with, with this kind of stuff. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and I had multiple conversations with, with our pastor and to no end, um, that it, nothing was changing. Mm. And, um, I was told that nothing was going to be changing. I mean, I don't need to get into the politicization, politicization of COVID either, you know, yeah. like from the pulpit, you can imagine that, you know, um, you know, like my, my sister, Andrea, who has down syndrome, 
um, she couldn't come to church. Uh, and that grieved her because that's a huge part of who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody wore masks and it wasn't required of anybody. Nobody in leadership wore masks. And like, I get it, like, you know, freedom uh, uh, to, you know, choose what, whatever. Um, I, to a degree, I get it. But also, like, you're leaving people out. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not hurting anybody to put on a mask. Um, anyway, so, so <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not really affecting anybody psychologically, <laughs> except for my sister, Andrea, who doesn't want to wear a mask, you know, she doesn't want to wear a mask either, but she's going to, but now she, you know, we weren't comfortable with her being in large crowds like that, where nobody was taking precautions. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, so I, you know, I don't need to get into that either, but COVID really exposed COVID era, Trump era really exposed, um, a lot of those, um, tendencies of people in the church. And what bothered me the most was when people would stand up and applaud, um, Mm. these rants about black lives matter, um, these rants about, you know, politics in our country and stuff like that. Um, that's uh, our, these rants about, um, uh, trans people, these rants about the LGBT community, these rants about abortion, all of these typically conservative, um, ideas, you know, um, and, and don't get me wrong. Like I I'm, I'm liberal, like, <laughs> but I also think that we have to have balanced approaches to, uh, the way that we talk about these things. We have to build bridges and, and not walls. And uh, there were a lot of walls being built up and that really discouraged me. We ended mm. up stepping down just because, um, I couldn't be in, I couldn't be in leadership in a place like that anymore. Um, I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't be at odds with the leadership, mm-hmm. um, and love, love everybody there. Um, including said leaders. Um, you know, I, I, I still consider our, our senior pastor a friend, although, you know, a very distant friend. Um, and, um, yeah, just, just can't, can't be in a place like that. It's not healthy and not for the kingdom. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting. Cause one of the things I kept saying when COVID hit is I said, because every, I, and maybe, I don't know if your church did this, Ryan, <laughs> but how many churches when 2020 was going to come up and then back, even back in 2019, where everyone's big plan or big vision was. 2020 vision 2020 like you know this kind of this and i think a lot of that was just this idea of a re almost kind of reform a revision of what the church should be and that's was usually the conversation i would always hear when people want that route for me i thought it was just a big piece of hot gimmicky garbage my my opinion but when covid hit one of the things i said is like well you know covid's a magnifying glass is going yeah. to expose the ugliness in people's hearts and even in the church's heart. And you're going to, and either when it exposes that ugliness, either there's two things you can do. You could either repent from it and be transformed by Christ, or you can continue to try to just let it ride. And I feel like a lot of times from what I've been seeing, especially in my own situation, it just, it showed the ugliness and yet there wasn't repentance. Yeah. There wasn't anything. And it's, it's a shame that like, again, like with your experience, your thing was 
actual politics being proclaimed, actually using phrases, black lives matters, abortion. <laughs> um, you know, I don't even know if, I don't even know if Trump Republicans, Democrats, uh, liberals, if, if any of those were keywords were ever proclaimed from the pulpit. But I can remember even kind of my own, my own situation, just even when the Capitol riots happened. Mm-hmm. And for me, this was when I was kind of preaching through Romans and simply put Romans three and four, where Paul's kind of criticizing the Jewish Christians about their behavior and how it's affecting the Gentile Christians. And I simply, as I read that, I was preaching that text. I basically said, you know, at the Capitol, the Capitol riots, the Jesus saves flag waving in the midst of violence. And I simply just said, you know, the, the statement I made is like, how is the world going to view Jesus, Christianity, and the church when they see an image like that? Yeah. Straight up. Let's see. Then the next day, I get a phone call from an angry parishioner basically saying I'm being political from the pulpit um, and that I'm not allowed to say anything. Um, Thursday, we have an elder meeting. And all of a sudden, as we're going through our elder meeting, uh, one of the elders brings up that particular talk at like, what's the pastor's role in sp- preaching politics from the pulpit? And then instead of asking me directly, everyone's kind of talking about it around me. And I simply said, and, and so I go, I said, so what's the problem? And they go, well, are you allowed to preach politics? And I said, I didn't preach politics. I was just proclaiming truth, which got some mm-hmm. people mad. Um, within the elder. And then not only that, when they kept going on the political thing, I go, okay, what did I say? Did I mention Donald Trump or Joe Biden? No. Did I mention Republicans, Democrats, uh, fundamentalists, liberals? Did I mention any of those words? No. Did I mention any politically charged groups Did I mentioned NRA, BLM, uh, Kunona, or however you say that, like, did I mention any, any, did I mention any of that? No. What did I say? Well, the Jesus saves flag at the Capitol rights. And what type of impression does that give about Jesus, the church and Christianity? Is that a political statement? The elder board said, no. Then I said, well, then it's not a political statement. Like I had to break it down simply for them to understand that I did not make a political statement. And what an elder walked out of the room and just Mm -hmm. left and got mad. And it was just kind of that thing where I just sat there and I go, and this is the same group I told back in 2020. COVID is a magnifying glass. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet yeah. it started to expose ugliness within, within the world, within our polit- politics, and even within the church community and the church life. And you sit there and you go, guys, I proclaimed this all the way back in March of 2020. Yeah. Like, yeah, and, and eventually I think it was, I mean, that wasn't the final straw that kind of led me to exit the church, but it was something that just constantly continued to brewing probably since I first got there in 2015. Sure. And eventually it just got to the point where it's like, you know what, there's nothing more I can do. There's nothing more I can do to yeah. get this church to be. And again, you know, for me, like, I'm again, I'm reading a book about church right now. Like what is, what is the church? 
you know, and I'm reading all these different books. And for me, it's always been, well, the church is about being part of the kingdom and being kingdom people. Yeah. And, you know, I can proclaim it. I can tell people this is what it means. I can even walk people to the doors of the kingdom and say, come on, this is what it means to be like the kingdom. Enter. But at the same time, everyone has a choice if they want to walk through those doors or not. Yeah. And I think everyone, and especially when it comes to the church, everybody has the right to basically say, I don't think this is healthy and I'm going to walk out. And I think that's yeah. kind of where you are, you're at. It's like, you know, it just got to the point. I love everybody. I love the people I worshiped with. I even love the staff that I was a part of, but I cannot. I have a strong conviction that I can no longer worship here because it's not looking like the church that Jesus proclaimed, the gospel writers wrote about, and even the apostle Paul and the epistle writers wrote about. Yeah. 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 And you know, you, you, you said something that, um, I've been thinking a lot about, which has kind of led to my, uh, kind of led to my struggle with understanding like where I belong in the church. Um, I should say within the institution of the church um, right now. And uh, just talking about, you know, you, you said, um, you know, I wasn't being political. I was proclaiming the truth. And uh, I, I think you were, <laughs> I, I think you were telling the well, truth. Glad, I'm, I'm glad I someone thought I was, <laughs> but, but here's the pro here's the problem though, just to push back on that. Yeah. My senior pastor said the same thing. Like I, I, I asked him, I said, is this, is this the gospel that you're proclaiming? Uh, there's a specific message that, that was, uh, the basis of the message was social, social justice is, is not found in the gospels, essentially. Mm. Um, social justice is, is a lie. It was essentially the, um, the title of the, the sermon. Uh, oh, it was, wow. a, it was a sermon series called fake news. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if that doesn't tell you something, uh, so anyways, I asked him, I said, do you feel like this, what, what you're communicating from the pulpit is actually the gospel and does it need to be said? And he said, yes, it's what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying from the pulpit is based on my convictions about the gospels. Um, and there's no arguing with that. You can't argue with someone who believes that, um, that they've got, They've got the word of God um, kind of built into their, just built into them and they're, mm. they're communicating the gospel. There's, there's very little humility in that. Um, and uh, like I said, I, I, I think you were communicating the truth whenever you said that, and that's a different kind of thing that you were saying. Um, but in, in here, here's where I think a shift has to happen. If the church, if the institution is going to survive, um, and I think the church will always survive, but it might not always be institutionalized. Mm. Um, the early church was not institutionalized, uh, at least in the formal sense. Jesus instituted it, but um, there weren't buildings. The people were in their homes, you know. Um, 
But if, if the institution is to survive, we have to get past this black and white. We have to get past this us versus them. We have to get past like the, the notion that I hold the truth and you don't. Because the truth is not a matter of facts. The truth is a matter of, of being. Mm. Um, Jesus, Jesus is the truth um, in the sense that we know how to be human because we've seen a perfect human who we, call, we also call God walk the earth. That's truth. You know, like we have to get past theology. And, and, and again, I've committed over a decade of my life to studying theology formally. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's important to have good theology, but I think it's more important to have good practice of faith. Yeah. And um, I, I don't believe that faith is a matter of, of, uh, of believing these dogmas about Christianity or about God or about Jesus. I think that faith is trusting in reality. Um, and Jesus is, is, is my reality. Um, Jesus is the way that I understand God. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know, man, I, I, I think we have to, to move more into what a lot of people have called orthopraxy over orthodoxy. That is mm. <laughs> how do we live well as Jesus followers versus how do we think well as Jesus followers? And yeah. I think living well will inform the way that we think about God um, rather than it being the other way around, because the other way around has not worked well for us. Exactly. And and what I find fascinating about that, Ryan, is it goes back to, it made me think about when I had to write my dissertation to be ordained for ordination. And I had to do it on like the 12 big theological views of the church of God. And I can remember defending my paper in central district in Ohio. And they read through my paper and they basically said, we don't find anything theologically wrong with your paper. Mm-hmm. But the questions they did ask me is how do you put it into practice? Yeah. And I think that was probably, probably one of the most powerful things. And throughout my whole entire journey of being ordained as, as a minister was that idea, because you could have all the head knowledge, but if you cannot communicate that, from your mouth and in your heart and live it out, then there's no point in having a good theology about the works of the Holy spirit. If you're not living it out or have a good theology of holiness, if you're not living it out. So Ryan, since your departure and everything else, what are you doing now currently? um, That's kind of helping you with your faith development and even, and especially, you know, being a, being a dad with two young kids myself, how are you also doing it with your kids, especially I mean, are you still going to church? Are you not? Or like, what, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, it, we are, we are going to church. Um, and primarily for our kids, you know, we, we have, we have a small group kind of um, missional community that we've been a part of since we left South. Um, and we're so grateful for that. That that's, I consider that group, my church family more than anything else. And, you know, I love that my kids are being uh, formed by the people in that group um, because love is at the heart of that group. Uh, And that's the most important thing to me is that um, my kids understand um, that they're loved and that they're called to love and to live into love because God is love. 
um, and there's no other way. It's a law of the universe. Um, and, um, but we are, we also understand the value of institutionalized learning for kids. And so we have been attending um, a local church, um, but that has, for, for me and Sam, that's not been the source of life for us, although there are great people there um, and, you know, like there are good things happening there, all that kind of stuff. But um, we do think it's important for our kids. And so, um, but I think, I think parenting in general, I mean, we talked, we talked to our kids about Jesus. We pray with them. Um, and uh, we don't try to instill heady theology in them, but we try to live it with them. Um, you know, if, if one of us gets testy with the other person and it's not called for, you know, I, I will ask my kids, can you forgive me? I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been that way. You know, um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have talked to you that way. You, you deserve respect. Um, and vice versa, you know, like Rose Cox and attitude with me, you know, I can, I can say to her, like, is this the loving, respectful thing to do? You know, is that, is that the kindest way you could communicate with me in this moment? Cause I don't think I've done anything to hurt you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and she knows, you know, that that goes back to, um, we believe that God is love and love is the way the world is supposed to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but anyways, so as far as parenting goes, I think we try to, we, we, we try to maybe make it like these (laughs) really rigid categories of how do we do it? But really it's just living, it's just living with your kids in a way that they know that they're loved and that they can give love um, to the people around them. And uh, I don't know, maybe that'll backfire on me one day, but I don't think it will. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, <laughs> in terms of like self-care, um, uh, for me, uh, sitting in silence has been huge for me. Um, not, uh, not coming to God all the time with petitions um, because that's just exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and not just because like, it's, it's, it's fine to have a grocery list, you know, to take to God and things that you need. I think that's really, that's important. Um, but, um, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, Desmond Tutu said, I find that prayer is less a grocery list, the older I get. And it's more like sitting in front of a fire on a cold. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything, but you're warmed by the, by the light that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think just, just sitting in silence and having those designated times of, um, just reminding myself to just be, um, um, so, I mean, so some people might call that meditation centering prayer, you know, um, I read the Bible in a whole different way than I used to. <laughs> I actually, uh, actually like think the Bible will speak to me <laughs> rather than be like trying to pull the meaning out of scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want scripture to, to speak to me. Um, but also just living, 
just living with a sense of like wonder about the world. Um, I don't know. And I know this, this is hard to, this is just hard to put into words because it's more of a mindset that, um, that I've been encouraged to cultivate and it's, it's not easy to put into words. It can, it can sound really fluffy and like, I don't know, undefined, but that's because it is, and it's not meant to be defined, but like, just living, just, just living like in all of the world that you live in can really restore your soul. Mm. Um, like we're, what we're in, what I call in Florida rainbow season, there's a rainbow to be seen almost every day. Um, and that's, that's an incredible thought that when light bends, <laughs> it creates this beautiful, uh, ring you know, this beautiful ring of colors. Um, I, I can't wrap my mind around light bending and changing as a result of being bent. Um, you know, there, there are just so many things uh, I've, I've, I've really taken to trying to understand things in scientific ways um, because that, that helps me to understand um, how God's created the universe. Um, and how God's created me, therefore. So anyways, yeah. that, yeah, that, that all sounds really probably undefined and fluffy and hard to grasp, but um, <laughs> those are really the things that sustain yeah. me is just like, just enjoying life because yeah. the church has this way of keeping people from enjoying life. Like, mm. you know, like just weighing people down with guilt and shame and like, not intentionally, like, I don't think people do it intentionally, but I don't know, man, like I love my life <laughs> and I, you know, I just want to enjoy it. And, yeah. uh, uh, I think that's, I think that's a very Christian thing. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when, you know, when you look at the, uh, scriptures where it says, you know, you shall have life and have life more abundantly, you know, that's yeah. really what being in, in community should be and being in tune with our, our Lord and savior should be, is just, you know, it's life bringing, um, yeah. but Ryan, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. I definitely appreciate it and, and definitely am so grateful for your, um, insights and your wisdom and even just your fluffiness as you would call it. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And we, hopefully this will help you on your deconstruction journey for those who are listening, for those of you who may not be, uh, in that season, um, you know, I hope that this will give you some information to be able to help you be able to maybe walk alongside someone who is going through a deconstruction process. Again, guys, I also would ask you that if you are, if you love this podcast, give us a five-star rating, uh, give us a review. This helps other people be able to find the show and, and be able to help them out as well. And, and to the content that I'm uh, producing that you guys, I guess, enjoy. Sometimes I have to pinch myself that you guys actually enjoy my voice and my content. <laughs> But uh, again, guys, thank you so much. We definitely appreciate every single one of you for listening to the show. I hope you guys all have a wonderful day and we'll have a new episode next week. Take care, guys.